134,000 employees at IBM get a major talking to. IBM Chief Executive Virginia Rometty delivering a rare company-wide reprimand in a five-minute internal video message. Quite a talking to, and we should say this came after uh, results last week, which I suppose were a little disappointing. That was Michael Casey from Wall Street Journal's coverage of an internal memo from IBM's chairman and CEO to its more than 400,000 employees in April 2013, asking them to step up their game. Until then, IBM's stock price had been on an upward trend from its early days all the way to April 2013. The stock peaked at around $213 per share in March of that year and reached its all-time high level. But things have never looked the same for IBM after that. After a series of quarters and years with flat or declining sales growth, IBM has not yet been able to replace its legacy business with high-value, high-margin products and services in order to grow its business once again. From April of 2013, let's travel forward to January of this year. January of 2019. And this time, another CEO of a large technology company had to deal with its company's declining revenue. Our December quarter revenue was below our original expectations, coming in at $84.3 billion. That's down 5% from a year ago, or down 3% adjusting for foreign exchange. That was, of course, Apple CEO Tim Cook talking about the 15% decline in the iPhone's revenue. What do Apple and IBM have got in common? Well, in the past few years, the media is beating a drum roll. It's not so much about IBM. Rather, it's about how Apple, once an arch enemy of IBM, it's now morphing to a modern-day IBM. Things are even more interesting because Warren Buffett used to be an investor in IBM and he has picked up a significant number of Apple shares in the recent years. Oh no! For IBM, things did not go as Warren Buffett had hoped for, and by March of 2018, the world's most patient investor washed his hands completely off of IBM's stocks. Zero IBM shares right now? I, I think we have zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the answer to that, I'm almost certain is yes. Once again, Warren Buffett has a large stake in a struggling technology company and the media cannot help it but drawing parallels between these two companies and these two stocks. Considering the recent disappointing iPhone sales and the lack of major innovation by Apple in the recent years, is it fair to assume that Apple is the new IBM and it is destined for the same faith? On today's episode, we're going to hear from Tim Cook, Apple's CFO. We're going to hear Warren Buffett's point of view on both companies and dig deep into the states of affairs at IBM of 2013 versus Apple of 2019. From Stucker.io, this is Renegade Investors, the show that rebels against the conventional wisdom of investing. We are Hoda and Arash, your hosts and the co-founders of StockCard. The conversation in this show is not investment advice. The hosts and their guests may or may not have invested in the companies we discuss. Don't make investment decisions solely based on what you hear on this show. 
Hey, podcast listeners, this is Hora, co-founder and CEO of StockCard. We are back with another episode of Renegade Investors. Before we begin, if you like Renegade Investor Podcast, leave us a review. We love all your reviews and take your feedback seriously. It was so helpful to hear from Igor Garlowski that he wants us to recap the points discussed during the podcast at the end of each episode. It also felt great to know that Mary is an investor in Chinese stocks such as Baiju for years and she thinks it will bounce back along with most other Chinese stocks. Thanks to Igor and Mary and everyone who pays it forward by writing that review and providing feedback. Leave us a review and share your feedbacks and suggestions. And now let's start the show. If Apple is the new IBM and the latest stock price decline is the beginning of the end for Apple, similar to how March of 2013 was the peak for IBM, we should be able to see similarities in the two companies' operations. What's going on with Apple now and what was going on for IBM back in 2013 should have some similarities. As always, to answer this question, let's peel the onion layer by layer to the core of issues and see whether Apple of 2019 shares the same traits as IBM of 2013. The quality of leadership, sales performance, profitability, cash availability, and competitive advantage are some of those things that we will discuss on today's podcast. First up, leadership quality. At the time when IBM's stock reached its all-time high price, IBM CEO had been around for about a year. Although she was quote-unquote an IBMer for many years, and she had put around herself an experienced management team. There were of course management changes when the revenue started to decline. But overall, IBM didn't have any leadership issues or risk that we could think of back in 2013. Similarly, Apple's management team has been around for a few years. Neither of the two companies are, of course, founder-operated, but because IBM CEO was appointed from within the company, and because Apple's management team have been around for a long time, we don't think there's a real differences or at least risk associated to the management team of the company. So both companies uh, are benefiting or had a very good management team. Now let's get to the company's annual reports to get to know these two companies better and have a better understanding of the state of affairs of the two companies, IBM of 2013 versus Apple of 2019. As I downloaded these reports, I opened one of them and I came across the sentence. Our plan is to continuously change the business mix toward higher value, more profitable technologies and market opportunities. If you wouldn't have told me which annual report this few sentences are coming from, I could have guessed either of the two companies. 
At the time in 2013, IBM was transitioning from its legacy technology and business services to cloud and software. And just like IBM, Apple is now transitioning from its device business to services. Things like Apple Pay, Apple Care, iTunes University, and things like that. But there is one difference. IBM wanted to move toward higher value businesses, but in 2012, annual report, almost all of the company's revenue segments were declining. So even though the desire and the plan was there to make the transition, the company was not able to pull it off back then. And we now know that it hasn't yet been able to do so. Turn the page to Apple, and the story is a bit different. Almost all of the revenue decline in December of 2018 was because of iPhone, and all other revenue segments are already growing. The services business actually is up by 19%. And this is not a small business by any means. The services revenue is it's almost $11 billion per quarter. Multiply that by four to get a full year. You have a standalone business that has more than $40 billion revenue per year. Times that by a 10 which is how startups' valuations are calculated, it becomes a $500 billion company. If you don't like the 10 multiplier, maybe even multiply that $40 billion by two or three, and you get to a business with almost $100 billion valuation, which is growing as 19% per year. This is by itself, is massive, it's growing, and this is something that we should not dismiss about Apple. When it comes to revenue, I have to say Apple wins big time. Apple's replacement for its iPhone revenue is already in place and growing. Whereas IBM's replacement for its declining iPhone equivalent segments was also growing, but it was so small and negligible at the time when the stock price reached its all-time high back in 2012-2013 that the company even didn't bother to share the absolute numbers. They did talk about the growth rate of those segments and they talked about their target in two to three to five years, but the, the businesses were so small um, that they were not uh, they were not worth mentioning. Okay, moving along. What's happening with the margins? As we said, IBM's goal at the end of 2012 was to transition to more high-value, high-margin businesses. And according to the company's annual report in 2012, the diluted operating earnings per share were about $15. And it was actually a new record. That marked 10 straight years of double-digit earnings per share growth rate for IBM. And it actually continued to grow even higher, at least for a few more years. So what IBM was saying about the transitioning to more high-value, high-margin businesses was working, but it was just not working as fast as the company had hoped for. The situation is not that different uh, for Apple of 2019. Here's what company CFO had to say about their earnings per share. And diluted earnings per share were an all-time record at $4.18 an increase of 7.5% over last year. Operating cash flow was also very strong. At While this seems to be a good news, it worries me. 
if IBM's earnings per share was going up just the same as how Apple's earnings per share is going up right now, we cannot conclude that Apple is any different from IBM of 2012-2013. Oh no! Well, I was about to move to the next topic that I noticed the number of employees of the two companies. And that piece of information gave me a bit of hope about the future of Apple. IBM in 2013 had more than 400,000 employees. Apple today has a bit more than 100,000. That's interesting, although both are comfortably profitable, but because Apple is running a much tighter ship, it seems to me that Apple has a higher hand here. Apple's profit margin is three times bigger than IBM's, and that's partially due to running a more scalable operations that is a lot more efficient, technology-driven compared to IBM, that to make a transition to, to his business, it had to deal to a massive labor force that he had already established around the world. That's an excellent segue to our next comparison. When it comes to cash and ability to generate cash, hands down, Apple wins. It's almost unfair to compare Apple with IPM when it comes to cash. With the net cash balance, Apple had at the end of its latest quarter it can go out shopping and buy a company as big as Netflix almost in cash. Even after such disappointing iPhone sales revenue, here's what Apple CFO had to say about their cash balance. Let me now turn to our cash position. We ended the quarter with $245 in cash plus marketable securities. We also had $102.8 in term debt and $12 billion in commercial paper outstanding for a net cash position of $130 billion. Wow, that's just impressive. Well, having said that, IBM had no cash issue either. Neither of the two companies had to deal with cash issues or anything related to long-term debt. So cash and debt was not a concern for IBM at the time and is not a concern for Apple today. If cash and debt are no issues... What about the two companies' ability to compete with their respective competitors? When analysts and financial media call Apple and new IBM, it's because they both share a similar competitive advantage that is gradually eroding. At least, that's what the financial analysts are thinking. IBM was integrated in the operations and businesses of so many companies around the world that it was hard to imagine they may lose their foothold in those companies. When you look at Apple, similarly, everyone talks about the ecosystem. Basically, you have your files, fixtures, payments, all set on your Apple iOS and your iPhone, and you basically stick around with this device because it's a little bit of a challenge and harder for you to switch to another ecosystem on another phone, although the phone can be cheaper. So is it fair to assume that just like how it went for IBM, Apple will gradually lose its grip on its core market of consumer electronics and mobile devices? Is there a real difference between IBM's main source of client stickiness versus Apple's ecosystem? What's very important, however, is that in spite of these factors, our total active installed base of devices 
has grown from $1.3 billion at the end of January of 2018 to $1.4 billion by the end of December, reaching a new all-time high for each of the main product categories and for all five of our geographic segments. Not only is our large and growing install base a powerful testament to the satisfaction and loyalty of our customers, but it's also fueling our fast-growing services business. Did you just hear that? The number of people around the world that are dependent on an Apple device and therefore connected to the ecosystem is unbelievable. Did IBM have the same stickiness? Of course, the immediate thing that comes to mind is that IBM's global presence and penetration across hundreds, if not thousands of major corporations around the world was absolutely incredible. As a matter of fact, that's why Warren Buffett invested in the company back in 2011. Warren saw what he calls as a moat for IBM's operations, and he assumed that moat or that competitive advantage cannot be replaced easily by other companies. I've been reading the annual reports for 50 years. I competed with them 50 years ago. I, uh, but the, uh, the 2010 report came in on a Saturday. I, I read it as I always do. And instead of reading it through the old ones of glasses lens, I read it through a new glasses lens. And, and then I set out to learn more about it. They, they laid out some very specific things they expected to accomplish. Uh, I really uh, uh, compliment the management on that. They, I, I don't know of any large company that, that really has been sp- as specific about what they intend to do and how they intend to do it as IBM. And they did that five years ago when they did it, and they've done it since. So they, they give you a roadmap. And they spend, you can read dozens and dozens of pages on, uh, they, they explain it. You can go to their website and learn about it. But then I went out and, or people in the office did for me, and we looked at our own IT operations through through many uh, of our companies. We got lots and lots of companies. I don't I don't know anything about the IT operations, but basically I was interested in learning how they came to the decisions they did, the stickiness, you know, what they might be doing three years from now or five years from now. And uh, when I got all through, I felt that IBM had a, a very good business, and I felt that they had this terrific reverence for shareholders. They 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 tell their they're honest with their shareholders. They tell their shareholders what they expect mm-hmm. to accomplish. They it, expect to be held to it. They repurchase shares uh, on a big scale. They do not use those repurchase shares to go out and issue the same number of shares. They've taken down their overhang by 200 million shares. Now the base is a billion 180. Uh, they've done all kinds of things right. Obviously, Warren Buffett's assessment of IBM's stickiness and competitive advantage turned out to be wrong in the cloud and software market. But he yet again used a similar logic to invest in Apple in the past few years. Interestingly, Buffett sees Apple as a company that operates a very premium real estate, which is Warren Buffett's way of explaining the strengths of the ecosystem. You know, I like to see the new release do well or, you know, that, but I, I do not focus on the sales in the next quarter or the next year. I, I focus on them. They won't tell you exactly how many, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people who practically live their lives by it. And if you look at that little, uh, piece of whatever it is, uh, you, that is some of the most valuable real estate in the world. I mean, that is, the fifth, fifth avenue will never come close to that. I mean, it, it is, you've got, you've got hundreds and hundreds of millions of people with loads of buying power and able to do business 
uh, or learn information or whatever it may be. And they've, and it's part of their habit of living. I mean, they spend hours a day and it does all kinds of things for them. So that, that, that real estate is, is worth a fortune. And it's nice to have it added to as they sell new phones. And of course, a lot of them are replacement phones, but that they're adding to hundreds and hundreds of millions of consumers that are never going to get to Fifth Avenue or they're never, uh, it, and, and, you are an indispensable part of their lives. I mean, it, it, it's, it's both companies benefited or benefit from a competitive mode or strength that is hard to replicate. But just like how IBM gradually lost its competitive advantage, it may not be very difficult to imagine that Apple may lose its hold and foothold uh, in the consumer electronic market sometime soon. So after all those comparisons, what's the verdict? Is Apple a new IBM? And should we skip investing in Apple, even at these days, reasonable share price levels that Apple stock is being traded at? The answer to that question and the recap of everything we've discussed today comes after a quick update I have for you about StockCard, my company. So we just released an update to StockCard.io, and it included quite a few new features. But one of the most interesting features that I personally am very excited about is the stock collections. You know how all of us take it to Google to search for, let's say, esports stocks that are undervalued, or cannabis companies that are well-managed. Usually, we do these searches and then go about reading quite a few number of articles online. With a stock card stock collection feature, you can get to that list with two clicks. Log into your stockcard.io account, and on a stock card search page, click on your preferred collection. It's that easy. Remember that time is your most valuable asset in investing. Don't waste it in collecting information when algorithms and software such as StockCard.io can do the work for you. In today's day and age that we are all time-strapped, StockCard saves you time and helps you make mistake-free investment decisions. Check out the new updates on StockCard.io. And now let's go back to the episode and summarize what we've learned and come to a conclusion. We started this episode to compare IBM of 2013, when the company's stock price peaked, and the Apple of 2019, when the widespread belief is that Apple has lost its luster. We looked at two companies side by side across quite a few dimensions. Here's what we figured out. No real management concern for either of the two companies, declining sales for both, profitability growing and strong, with a heavy reliance on declining revenue segment for the majority of the revenues, and no cash constraint for either of the two companies. Both companies' strategy was to change the mix of their business. However, Apple has already put together a growing alternative in its services business that only requires for its existing very large customer base to continue to stay with the company. 
whereas IBM's growth initiatives were at early stages and they needed their customers to stop using IBM's competitors' products and services in cloud and software and switch to IBM's new products and services. Although these two companies seem to be very similar, but this last point that we just talked about can be a major source of difference for Apple. Apple's customers don't have to do anything for Apple to succeed. But IBM's customers had to move away from other vendors, stop using other companies' cloud products or software, and pick up IBM's solution in order for IBM to succeed. I believe that could be a golden key for Apple. Of course, Stockard VIP members will get to see whether we would have a formal recommendation for Apple or not. But personally, for my own real money portfolio, I'm leaning toward Apple at these prices and with this current golden key that we just talked about. And I want to give the company a chance to use its cash balance and this sticky ecosystem that we talked about um, to win and grow its revenue for years to come. With all that you learned today, I'm curious to know what's your conclusion. Thanks for listening. Our website is stockcard.io. Stockcard is a cheat sheet for long-term stock market investors. Sign up and create a free account with one click. All right, folks, that's it for this episode of Renegade Investors. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you had fun listening to us, give us a review. We read all of your reviews and comments. You may even get featured in the future episodes. The Masters Tournament is turning into another controversy, and this time it's about IBM. IBM has a new CEO, took over a few months ago, Virginia Rometty, and uh, she, uh, by virtue of being a woman, is not eligible to be a member of Augusta National golf club and she has to show up now because she's a big sponsor yeah it's you know it seems like we had this argument 20 years ago and 30 years ago you'd think that we would stop having it and they would start accepting uh women in the golf club but i guess their argument is that we're a private club we could we could do whatever they want apparently you know, the golf club's exclusionary membership policies were changed in 2012. However, the fact that this has been going on just seven years ago is just an eye-opening truth about our society.